Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always, it's a pleasure to have you join me on the show again today. So last time out, we shared the interview that I underwent with Akil Patel, who explained his research and indeed views on what has become known as the 18-year property cycle. Now this week, I just wanted to highlight what I'm going to call the six key areas that determine house prices generally speaking. Then by observing changes in these six areas, we should be better equipped to draw some conclusions, if not as to the exact exact timing of house price booms and busts, at least to the general direction and the speed of travel. Okay, so let's get straight into the meat of the show with Property Chatter. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. So last week, as I mentioned, Akhil Patel described the 18-year property cycle and how it was both cyclical in nature, well, obviously, (laughs) but also predictable, and how we go from boom to bust to boom again with alarming regularity. But why is this? How does he, and indeed some others, see clear and predictable patterns? And how can the average property investor learn from this? without, of course, the need for a mega calculator and computer model? And how can we be vigilant, rather, and see some patterns emerge before they even take place? Now, I was giving some thought to this concept, and I was wondering to myself, as I often do, what are some of the key elements of the property market that we can look out for and incorporate into our own planning? So I thought I would share some of these factors today to give some pointers at the top level, so we can at least be vigilant. Now, it could be that we could engage the advisory services of someone such as Akil. However, before we do that, we can at least apply some general principles, I believe. Now, one word of warning, however, the mainstream media and many market commentators often get it wrong when it comes to making house price predictions. So, alternatively, who has seemed to have got things right then instead? Well, here are some of the contrarians, as I'd like to call them, to look out for. And from the UK, we have Fred Harrison, followed, of course, more recently by Ikil Patel from the UK again, but with Phil Anderson from the US. And uh, they all advocate and promote the 18-year property cycle. And then again in the UK, we have the market oracle, or Nadim, Nadim even, Walayat. Who, who accurately called the conservative majority election win based on house prices growth, when many others weren't. They were certainly calling a coalition and hung parliament and those sort of things. Then we have Professor Steve Keane, who is a UK-based Australian, and Robert Kiyosaki, of course, from the US, who both accurately called the 2008 global crash. Finally, we have the American Robert Schiller, Um, who observes house price trends, suggesting that they tend to revert to the mean or average in real terms over time. Or in other words, they follow a predictable pattern after inflation is taken into consideration. So after these references for you to check out further, 
What are my personal thoughts on the key drivers of house prices, certainly at the top level? And I'd like to suggest that there are six key areas that give us clues about the direction of house prices. The six drivers of any property cycle could be summarized as being influenced by these general factors. Supply and demand, national and personal economics, credit conditions, state intervention, sentiment and socio-political factors. <laughs> Easy enough to say not. <laughs> but taking these uh, in turn briefly then, let's start with the general marketplace factors of supply and demand. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to list out some what I call key performance indicators or measures that we can look out for in each of these sections. So as I mentioned, starting with uh, general um, supply and demand, some of the key measures we might look out for are housing starts and completions. That's going to give us an indication as to the level of supply activity coming into the marketplace, certainly in terms of new build. And in, in terms of demand, we've got factors such as population growth and household composition or household growth. You know, the decline of uh, you know, standard families and more, you know, single parent families and uh, lone uh, elderly people living alone and this sort of thing are indications in that respect. And next, I guess, in terms of the national and personal economic factors, and in particular earnings and affordability, some of the KPIs we can look out for, for there are the general economic and uh, economic cycles and industrial growth, whether we're in a state of growth, stagnation or recession. Then, of course, we've got wage inflation, but not just wage inflation, wage inflation relative to general inflation. Of course, if we're seeing wage inflation above general inflation, then people are going to be better off. And the opposite is also true. And then we've got house prices versus affordability measures and the trends in those regards. There's been a lot of talk about that lately, but there's also been some step changes in terms of affordability. For example, when um, couples, you know, used to, traditionally there was one per person who went out and was the breadwinner, but we saw a sort of change demographically um, several decades ago actually now, but uh, where two people go out and earn money and so that contributed to higher household incomes and therefore more money was available to uh, spend on housing. You know, but so so that's definitely one aspect as well we can take into consideration, and similarly, uh, personal debt levels and bankruptcy levels and other factors to to be aware of. With rising personal debt and credit cards and this sort of thing, um, we may see increases in bankruptcy levels, and and they're in lead indicators, if you like, that there's going to be trouble afoot in the housing market as people are struggling to afford to pay their mortgage. Then we have the financial sector. And in particular, we've got access to credit and uh, lender policies. So the KPIs in this respect probably are going to be lender loan to values and some of the other policies and criteria. And I think more recently we've seen things like uh, fees not being on the increase and this sort of thing, um, which was a change following the last crash. But but of of late, we've seen you know interest rates being dropped down very low indeed, very low. And then, of course, we've got general banking profits and, and lender competition. So how many people are operating in the marketplace and how are their profits looking? You know, and uh, what is the, the strive to please the shareholder, as it were? I guess in terms of the, uh, the, the state intervention point, the role of government and indeed central banks, 
we we have this centralized intervention you know policy level and the K, uh, the KPIs or key performance indicators here might be interest rates and the money supply generally speaking are they on the up are they on the down we're obviously in record low territory at the moment and um, <clears throat> you know they're used as instruments of course to control spending and indeed saving then of course we've got the budget surplus or deficit if you like and national debt levels which is an indication of how much money is floating around the economy being driven from uh, from the center from government the next area of course is is a mentioned sentiment or psychological factors behavioral economics i guess if you could, if you'd like to call it that and i guess the key kpis there are um, speculation on prices and that could go either way. It could be driven by greed, you know, which is uh, driving prices up, or it could in, indeed by, be driven by fear, which would drive prices down. Of course, these factors can exaggerate those, uh, those inclines or declines of, uh, of house prices. Of course, we've got the trend line, kind of alluded to it in that last point. How steep is the line heading? At the moment, we're looking like... Uh, Pretty, pretty aggressive uh, house price growth. It's quite a steep line, but it's not necessarily the steepest it's ever been. So uh, a little bit of room to go at the moment. And then, of course, we've got good old media hype and the uh, the tallest building contest that you often see, often globally, but uh, also within countries as well and in, within cities. So look out for the cranes is probably the watchword there. And finally, we have the social and, and political factors. And the, K the KPIs here are national and international crises, riots and wars, which cause, uh, can cause you know, instability. But on a more pragmatic level, we have uh, birth, death and life expectancy rates and, of course, immigration trends. In the UK, we've seen quite a lot of immigration. We've seen an awful lot of immigration now into Europe from, uh, from the Middle East um, because of the first point, international crises, riots and wars. And I guess we've got political persuasions, power shifts, and and changes in in that kind of makeup. Who really is uh, is crying out for a change? So I guess if we uh, if we start to try and put it all together, we can we can start to observe some of these key data sets and uh, start to figure out both a direction and indeed a speed of travel, if you like. And if we were to have a, a clear head <laughs> and merely observe some of these key metrics or performance indicators, then we'll start to see a trend emerging, I'm sure. So what I was thinking is just to consider some of these, uh, some of these influences, if you like, in those key areas. So if we start with supply and demand, for example, what would happen to prices if supply started to increase? So I mentioned about housing starts. Where are the cranes most concentrated? I kind of touched on that point just now. How about immigration swings, birth, death and divorce rates? You can probably just see in isolation how some of those questions, you know, the answers to those questions rather, can drive supply and demand factors. Then I guess in terms of the general and indeed the personal economy, what about people's earning levels? And in particular, their earning levels relative to inflation. People are going to feel better off if they're getting pay rises ahead of inflation. And of course, the opposite is also true. How much can people realistically afford to spend on housing in absolute cash terms? What's the ceiling? We, we've seen record affordability levels recently, but we've also seen record low interest rates. So affordability on a, on a cash basis has been improving. 
And so it's not necessarily so disturbing to see some of these high um, affordability measures. Now, it could be different, of course, when interest rates go back up, if and when they get back to um, the old levels that we saw, you know, 5, 6, 7% of past. I think it's average 5% over the long, long term. But I think it's going to be a way, you know, before we get to those levels again. But just consider those points. What about the role of the banks, you know, and their access, you know, provision to credit? We saw after the last financial collapse that basically they weren't lending, they're asking for um, perfect credit ratings, high deposits and this sort of thing. But more recently, we're starting to see even subprime mortgages come back into the marketplace. So how does the financial community exist, uh, sorry, exert an influence on prices? Then, of course, we've got state intervention, the government and the central banks. And, and what are they doing about interest rates? And of course, they're using interest rates as a, as a tool to control our spending and our saving in general terms. So, you know, we, we should be aware that if interest rates are going up, there's a reason for doing that is to probably to cool the economy, cool the spending levels. So it's a suggestion perhaps that things are, you know, improving and potentially about to overheat. And then, of course, we've got this whole sentiment and psychology. What are the tabloids saying to stir things up? What are people talking about in the pub or uh, around the dinner table, if you like? Around about 2007, you could probably have a conversation about property with pretty much anyone, anywhere, I should imagine. And of course, socio-politically, who has the most to complain about in society? And is this driving political change and wealth dif distribution, if you like? Just have a look at some of the um, election results that are starting to happen, because you know, politically, you know, uh, you know, things go through changes and cycles. Eventually, it might not be just one term in office and a change. Uh, not, not certainly in some of the some of the economies of uh, of the world. But there could be a couple of terms. But then it's probably time for a change. Uh, there are some more in unstable areas. But you know, Canada's just had a change. Uh, the U.S. I'm not sure what's going to happen there. The uh, the UK government had a change with the coalition and flipped again to have a majority conservative leave. You know, the, there are swings in the uh, social political landscape as well. So these are just some of the questions that we can ask ourselves to assess where are we in general terms in the property cycle and, and how and, and what are these uh, how do these factors affect house prices? But I guess if we're really smart, we might also start to track these metrics over time and then observe their trends. So just a little system there that potentially we could adopt. So so then, whilst we might know the exact moment when the housing market will change direction from an up cycle to a down cycle or vice versa, at least we'll have a general idea of which way the wind blows and be ready for, for it when it does. And if we were to know, you know that, that we're on an up cycle, what would our approach to borrowing levels or interest rate fixes or cash resources or our rate of acquisition or disposal be? On the other hand, if we're, if we're heading downhill, what then with regard to these things? You start to see perhaps how it can influence our planning and what we do in terms of uh, you know, bedding in, if you like, or just uh, pushing the boat out. Of course, always recognizing that sooner or later, we're going to have to change tack again. So we should have a, an eye on the horizon, if you like, and, and making plans uh, a couple of years ahead, I would suggest. So what about property strategies then? And we did allude to this last week, and there is more to come from Akil and myself. So I'm just going to leave it there and just say, look out for that. But just as a general point, 
you know where we are with house prices and the house uh, the, sorry the property cycle can have a bearing on the on the types of property uh, strategy that we 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 should adopt or are best deployed at any point in time so I guess in conclusion then, having some insight into the general direction in these six key areas might just make us a little bit more prepared and uh, to avoid some of the threats but also ready for opportunities of uh, any house market movements as they arise. Uh, what are we seeing right now in terms of these six key areas? Well, I guess on balance it does rather suggest that we're on something of an upward curve. But for how long? These six areas will play out in their own way and so it's tricky to predict with any real degree of confidence because there is an interdependency between them of course. Uh, but uh, <laughs> unless of course we have the brain the size of a planet such as the likes of Akil Patel, Professor Steve Keen or Nadim Walayat. Uh, however, at least we can start to be aware of and then track and then consider some of these top line factors that underpin house price movements for ourselves, can't we? Well, I hope this allows us to have more awareness of the drivers of the house mar housing market in general. May not necessarily be master in timing, at least uh, an observer of directional changes in the housing market is what I would suggest. And knowing these things at least could serve us well with our own investment plans as, I, as I'm sure that uh, we'll all find useful. So that's what I wanted to share with you in today's episode in terms of the main body and I hope that was useful to you. But uh, next up though, it's Your Voice. Up next is Your Voice. It's all about you and your property world. So today we're going to share another five-star iTunes review from B. Donkin. Wow, great stuff. Perfect for the in-car between viewings. Five stars by B. Donkin. I love the format and the content, working my way through them all now and getting better each time. Keep them coming. Well, thanks. Thanks very much, B. Donkin. Really appreciate that. And um, thanks for all the great reviews that I've seen coming through. It makes the world a difference to us to know that you're enjoying the show. And it also helps us to spread the word more widely, of course. So, you know, keep them coming in is all I can say, please. We really appreciate it. Now, the Your Voice segment is all about you and your opinion. So whether it's a review, as I've just read out, a question, a property story, or just a good old moan, we're here just for you. So drop me a note, uh, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net, to start a conversation. But of course, you can pop it over to our Facebook page, The Property Voice, or tweet at Property Voice UK. And indeed, if you really want, you can leave a voicemail on the website, because uh, that allows us to segue it into the show, which would be really cool. So thanks for that, B. Duncan, really appreciate it. But right now, it's the shout-out. And now, where you can go for more great resources with the shout-out. Now, this week's shout-out is suggested by a regular listener called Carl, who, having listening, listened to an earlier episode on time management, suggested a couple of resources to assist with managing our time and productivity. The first one is stay focused, and that allows us to limit the time we spend uh, on any distracting or unproductive website. So it's a, it's a plug-in for our browser. So you can get that. There's going to be a link in the show notes. Stay focused. And he also mentioned rescue time. And rescue time is a logging system that allows us to track how much time we're spending online, whether it's email or on websites or other applications that, uh, that use the internet. 
Uh, and I may have mentioned um, rescue time before and in fact I have actually used it personally and it was really good just to get some insights um, got on top of things quite sim you know quite quickly so I stopped I have to actually stop using that one now but it's because uh, it does how highlight what I like to call the dead zones but um, everything seems to be relatively in order <laughs> it's very hard to get above 80% productivity is what I found <laughs> what I noted but um, yeah I did uh, I did sort of push that one to one side but I think it's actually worth getting it out from time to time and just checking just to make sure no bad habits have crept back in well, I haven't actually tried stay focused um, I must admit that's one I need to really check out myself but uh, an alternative could simply be to switch off Wi-Fi couldn't it or maybe I'm just being a little bit too brutal <laughs> I don't know what do you think well, thank you, Carl, for those suggestions. We, we do like to feature our listener contributions whenever we can, so keep them coming. But just before I run, and yes, that was a deliberate pun, talking of running, just a reminder that this weekend I have my 10K charity run, and I'll hopefully be able to report on my progress in next week's show without uh, too much uh, mishap along the way. But uh, if you're interested, I did write a short blog post on the backstory behind the uh, Amazon School that uh, I'm raising some money for and of course they're amazing teacher and they're inspirational children so if you'd just like to check it out the blog posts over the website thepropertyvoice.net it's called giving in action supporting an Amazonian school so uh, it'd be great if you could check that out but meanwhile wish me luck <laughs> okay so uh, that's all we have time for today then and remember you can always email me personally I like to answer all the emails personally podcast at thepropertyvoice.net of course, the show notes are going to be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net. So for now, though, all that remains for me to say is thanks very much for listening again this week. And until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.